good afternoon. It's the fourth Friday of the month, and that means it's time for Literary Ashland. I'm Michael Neiman. And I'm Ed Battistella. And we have some announcements, first of all. We do. Our, our friend Sophia Bogle, who uh, we interviewed back in April, um, she's the author of Book Restoration Unveiled, and she'll be in Grants Pass this evening at Oregon Books and Games at 5 p.m. for a celebration of the book. Um, tomorrow, she'll be in Jacksonville at Rebel Heart Books from 3 to 6 and on July 5th, she'll be at the Ashland Book Exchange um, celebrating and signing books from 4 to 6. So if you want to hear more about Sophia Bogle, check her out. Mm-hmm. She's also got a very interesting website where you can learn everything about fixing your books, indeed. And Ed Battistella will be speaking at the Ashland Public Library on July 14th at 1 p.m. on Insulting the President from Washington to Trump. It will be in the Gresham Room, and since I've read a draft of this particular piece, you should definitely not miss it. All right. Um, Poet Richard Blanco, um, in 2013, he was chosen to read at Barack Obama's second presidential inauguration. Um, He was the youngest and first Latino immigrant and gay person to serve in this role. Um, He's the author of several poetry collections, including a new release called How to Love a Country. Um, He'll be doing a Think and Drink sponsored by Oregon Humanities at the Grizzly Peak Winery on July 13th from 6 to 8. Uh, And then he'll also be doing a poetry reading at the Mountain Avenue Theater at Ashland High School. That's on July 15th at 7 p.m. And I should do the next one also. Um, July 27th at 2 p.m., our our own Michael Neiman will be appearing with fellow Coffee Town Press, Camel Press authors, Sharon St. George and Clive Rosengren on a panel at the Barnes & Noble, um, 1260 Churn Creek Road in Reading. Yep, it's my first road trip, so yeah, everybody will be welcome there. Well, today's guest is poet Alma Rosa Alvarez. In addition to being a poet, she's also a professor of English at Southern Oregon University, where she's taught for 22 years, focusing on ethnic literatures in the United States. She holds a PhD from the University of California in Santa Barbara, and is author of Liberation Theology in Chicana, Chicano Literature, published by Routledge. So welcome, Alma. Welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm glad to hear. So, So how did you find your way to poetry? Have you always been a poet? Well, um, when I was in fourth grade, believe it or not, I actually imagined myself as a poet. I loved reading poetry as a child, and um, I actually plagiarized some poems. I think they were like haikus, and um, and I think that's where my poetic journey began. And then, like every other young person in college. I wrote some really god-awful poetry, Um, and I remember that some of my mentors were like, yeah, if you work at it, you can maybe get somewhere with it. And so that's how my poetry journey began. All right, fourth grade. Yeah, excellent. (laughs) Very excellent, indeed. So as, as you have matured, as it were... As a poet, have have there been certain themes that have emerged in the kind of poems you write? 
I think that um, I'm really drawn to writing about um, my family, but in particular, my family from Mexico. Um, I have, I think, a really deep connection to um, this little town called Momax in the state of Zacatecas. And um, I think that I witnessed a transition between um, a place that, you know, where people rode horses as their mode of transportation or walked into, you know, a, a place that is now filled with cars. Um, and so I, I think that I'm motivated to write about like that transition mm. and those times that I, that I think I was really lucky to witness. And so that's part of what motivates me as um, Black Lives Matter um, it emerged and we saw so many of the deaths of um, African-Americans. Um, I think that my poetry became sort of a social justice type of poetry. Um, I have uh, African-American family members and um, I think I was just drawn to some of the, some of the plight. And, uh, and so I, I find that, that I've been writing some poetry that deals with social justice issues as well. Okay. So, well, could you read something for us? Sure. So this poem is called Thread, and it's dedicated to my grandmother, Trine. I think of how when the iron stopped heating, or when it began ruining our pants, or when the TV screen became progressively darker and darker until people of color were no longer visible, we threw them out. I wondered, as we dumped the items in the can, the thud evoking the weight of landfills, if there was a way, a way to save. I compare our disposition for disposability to you and how you used to save everything, an orange that had developed green and even white spots, sweaters that had no elbows, and thread. Thread that might have unraveled from the hem of a skirt or might have come from packaging of a new coat or shirt. You would take it and hold it up to the light. From your pocket, you would then extract a paper napkin, expressly rolled for the purpose of collecting thread, a makeshift spool on which you would wind intently, found threads of black, blue, or red, knowing you could use them for the darning of a sock, the mending of a pillowcase, or even the reinforcement of a seam. Thread, what you used to hold everything together. Hmm. Well, that's, yeah, that's great. I, and I like the way that uh, the, you sort of bring together both of the themes you talked about before, the mm -hmm. social justice theme and also the, the sort of, um, not, not quite nostalgia, but the respect for your grandmother's time and the, um, the way that uh, people were really sort of yeah. treat, treated th um, thrift as a sort of moral value. Mm -hmm. So that's yeah, Indeed. thank you. Yeah, yeah, I, and I like the uh, I like the sort of imagery too of the, the napkin and the. Um, it was in her pocket yeah. all the yeah. time. <laughs> mm -hmm. that, that was not the Marie Kondo generation. I think. <laughs> no, um, not at all. So. Um, 
Well, I, you have a pretty busy life from what, what, I, what I've gathered. <laughs> um, how, when do you find time to write poetry? Do you have a regular schedule? or? I wish that I could be disciplined like so many other writers that I, that I hear about um, to, to be able to sit down and write. But that's not actually been part of my process. Um, I feel like um, the best way to describe it is if, if anyone has seen the movie Patterson, um, when I saw that film, I was like, oh, my God, that describes my process because a poem just begins emerging sometimes in the middle of whatever, in the middle of the day, you know, and I feel like I'm, you know, sort of blessed to be given the ability to either recall something or to witness something. And um, I carry, you know, a little notebook with me at all times um, because I've learned that sometimes when I want to recall an image and I didn't have the notebook, the image was gone. And that raw material, that moment, you know, where everything was aligning was gone. And so I now carry one with me and try to capture the, uh, you know, uh, the, the emotions and maybe some quick language that will help me sort of transport me back to the time where, when I can then work on crafting that language. And so I'm sort of not like a very disciplined person, but I feel like poetry happens all the time. You know, sometimes I'm like walking and I'm like, oh, that's a poem. Or I see a person and something is unfolding and I'm like, you're a poem, you know, or something like that. So that's mm-hmm. kind of how it happens. So it's sort of a, an advocate of found poetry. It sort of feels like that a little bit. Um, I did during a sabbatical try to sit down and write and, um, and, and I could do it, but I feel like it wasn't as organic. It didn't feel as natural to me. So, yeah. In case you're just joining us, you're listening to Literary Ashland on KSKQ 89.5 FM. And our guest today is poet Omarosa Alvarez. And I was just going to follow up. I mean, it, it occurs to me that, you know, the the process you're sort of describing is almost like photography. You you capture an image or you see something and um, later on it really gets sort of crafted into a, a, a larger piece with, with various um, themes and threads going through it. And so you're uh, maybe you're a poet in the same way your grandmother collected things. <laughs> That's very nice. I, I was thinking that how when I was... Um young, I I would take that raw material and think that that was the poem. And I think that that's where I had some problems. But, you know, over time, of course, you learn that you have to really craft the material, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Do you have an audience in mind when you write? You know, um, this is interesting. I think that the audience is really myself. Um I think when I was younger, I or when I was young, I should say, <laughs> I had a I had an audience in mind, um, and they tended to be maybe like the cool peers and the poet scene or whatever. But I felt that I felt like my poetry came together when I learned to sort of impress myself, you know, and and so. I don't really have one in mind mm-hmm. other than myself, really. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, it, that sounds maybe super narcissistic and selfish. I don't no, know, but n- not at all. <laughs> not in this day and age. No, <laughs> I, I don't think it has ever mattered for writers. I think writers who write for an audience um, run into deep dangers of just writing whatever they think is popular yeah. rather than writing to please themselves. So, 
I don't think it's narcissistic at all. Yeah, I mean, I think that I have, you know, some poems that I, as I said before, I, I have, you know, uh, were, were inspired by the killing of mm. African American men, and I didn't have an audience in mind then either. I just, I feel like I was so saddened by what was happening that I just had mm. to get something out. And again, it felt like things were aligning. You know, that I was, that I somehow found language, you know, mm -hmm. to be able to talk about those experiences, you know, but. And when you then read one of those poems to an audience, does that change how you relate to the poem? You know, one concern that I have when I read those types of poems, I mean, you have to think about audience when you're doing a reading, mm -hmm. obviously, but is, I hope that people don't think that I'm trying to profit and by profit i mean i'm not selling my poetry and i'm not mm -hmm. you know but maybe profit in in terms of like social capital or something by bringing out the the damage that's done to brown and black bodies you know but but i also feel like how do we how can we connect and be moved by some of these horrible things that are happening yeah. I know that right now, that image of that father and that little girl, you know, this week, that image became really viral. And I saw a lot of people commenting on the trauma that happens when we see that image, and especially if you're a brown person. And so I'm always hoping that people won't feel, I mean, I, I wrote it out of the feeling like we have to tell these stories also. And I'm, I feel like I am kind of um, treading like a really thin line. It's bearing witness. Yes. Right. I think that's, I think, what matters. And I think that you cannot do enough of that. Yeah. yeah. And I think here I, I, I sort of draw from like Carolyn Forche's work, who was bearing witness as a poet in what was happening in, in El Salvador. Claribel Alegría, you know, another poet in Central America that was bearing witness to what was happening during those horrible years where there were so many civil wars. Mm -hmm. And and I feel like I'm I'm influenced by them for sure, you know. And so I do think that I... When I'm writing, I feel like it is a bearing witness, but I'm also always a little bit like conscientious of the the feeling of like, am I participating in that exploitation of, mm -hmm. you know, damaged, broken black bodies, brown bodies, you know. And it must be it must be difficult to sort of figure out where that line is between being a a witness. Um, sort of plaintively telling a story and and sort of feeling like you're almost telling overtelling or exploiting a story. Absolutely. Um, when you when you write, do you read? You must read your work out loud. Yes. And, and does that give you a feel for? I mean, do you have a sort of when you read something, um, do you have a sense that oh, that's too much or not enough or? I, I do several drafts, you know, uh, and sometimes I do find that an image is overtold, you know, and, and so I'm always trying to go for that image that tells just enough, right? And so sometimes in the first drafts or the first iterations, I find that the language is like, it's, it's um, too graphic, it's too, and sometimes I keep it, you know, I, I have a poem on uh, remembrance of Martin Luther King Jr. That is, that is actually graphic, but a lot of those other poems I scale back and because I feel like you can really tell a, a, a great story by just barely telling it, mm -hmm. right? Leaving the reader to do some work. Yes. 
Yeah, I think that's really important. Have you noticed any changes in yourself since you seriously have been working on poetry? I feel like I'm more open to the world to just accept whatever is handed to me or given to me. I mean, I know this is going to sound so, so, sort of like the romantic British poets that were sort of like <laughs> gallivanting around in nature and going, oh, you know. Um, I have to say, though, that some of them were also taking drugs, and I am mm. not taking drugs, right? Okay. But I but I feel that I've all always sort of been like that when I was a child, I was really sort of open to the world like that. And I feel like I recuperated mm. some of that. That, you know, maybe like when you're sort of a, trying to get established in a career, you kind of forget about that a little bit. But now as, you know, a full professor, and not that I'm sitting on my laurels, but but that I think I have some privileges that allow mm -hmm. me to experience yeah. the world a little differently. Well, and I think the, the sort of process of uh, becoming an academic and getting a PhD is maybe inimical to uh, <laughs> accepting the world as it is and finding finding joy in things. He, he said the same thing a month ago when I was being interviewed. <laughs> We're all trying to overcome our PhDness. Right. Yes, right? absolutely. But, uh, but I'm wondering how, I mean, the sort of balance between teaching and writing an academic and so, writing academic things and sort of crafting other other people's work and opening yourself to the world as a poet. How does that balance sort of feel to you? Do you does it ever? Well, part of it is, is that I have not done a lot of academic writing recently. Uh, but, but the other is when you're teaching literature, if you're teaching literature, um, and not the next, you know, sort of flash in the pan, you're, you're learning how other people are crafting things. So I think that that sort of opens you. So I think the mm -hmm. act of teaching and teaching beautiful things or moving things allows you to, to stay in that place. I also have to say that, you know, I have a, a niece, which Ed, you've heard of, little V. Um, <laughs> she's six years old. And I think having connections to children also kind of let you see the world through their eyes. And so she's actually been a great source of inspiration for me because things that I have forgotten about, she sort of reminds me of. And I can sort of tap into some of those. Nice. Would you want to read another one of your poems? Sure, thank you. This one is called Atonement. You are Grandpa George, not my grandpa, not even my kid's grandpa, but my kid's friend's grandpa. Something about you reminds me of Marco, the bloated face, the affable style. You've made the chore of being at a kid's party less laborious. Your hospitality materializes into beer early in the afternoon. I accept what I never accepted or liked in Marco. In Marco, drinking was disrespect of my mother, a fight at my wedding, sloppy crying at a sad song. You remind me of him, Grandpa George, and it's early afternoon, yet drinking even if it's encouraging, a habit seems redemptive. It's funny. I wasn't when the poem started. I wasn't quite sure where it was going to go. You you made Grandpa George seem sort of simultaneously 
likable and inspirational, but also a little scary at first. Yeah. And I think that that's sometimes what happens when we meet people that are, I mean, first of all, human beings are complicated. Some people are more complicated than others, right? Complicated and messy. (laughs) And, And I think that sometimes the first time around when we meet a complicated person or messy person like that, we maybe don't have the grace to recognize something that is good about them. We see like all the messy stuff and we're maybe not even nice to them. Maybe we're Mm -hmm. nasty to them. Maybe they were nasty to us and we're just Mm -hmm. nasty back. And then sometimes you get like a second chance, maybe not through that person, but through somebody else to kind of recognize. And it feels like if you play your hand right, you know, and you're not a jerk back, (laughs) you know, that you can make up for what you didn't do the first time around. Well, it's also the the proximity or the closeness of the relationship, and then the in the the, the somewhat more distant relationship. Yes. And having that distance allows you to see. Oh, wait, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Wonderful. Thank yeah. you. And and now I I think I'm curious whether you have a poem about Marco as well. <laughs> You know, I don't have a poem about Marco. I actually thought about writing a companion um, piece to it that was about him, but I haven't found myself in the space to really be able to do it yet. You know, I have some raw material, but it's not enough for a poem yet. Mm -hmm. Hopefully someday. Yeah. In case you're just tuning in, you're listening to Literary Ashland right here on KSKQ 89.5 FM. Our guest today is Alma Rosa Alvarez, and we're talking about her poetry. And well, I'll ask you a question that, that often stumps um, folks, um, and it's really, who do, who do you read as a, um, as a poet? Who are some of your favorites? Well, I have a friend, Meredith, who introduced me to Pablo Neruda's Odes, which mm. I really love. And so there was one year for my New Year's resolution, I read an ode a day. (laughs) He has like all these odes. And so he was, he, he's someone that inspires me. I'm also a, I have a subscription to poetry. So I'm reading new poets and, and, and there was a Native American edition of poetry. Natalie Diaz was, was featured Mm -hmm. in it and some other young writers with some incredible concrete poetry, which which I'm not, I haven't really been a big fan of concrete or picture poems, but these folks were doing some amazing stuff with with that. So I try to read new material, but you know, I also like some of the old standards like Lucille Clifton, you know, uh, Gwendolyn Brooks. I actually find that I, I guess I'm really drawn to African American poets, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You teach literature. You don't teach poetry. No, I have a class um, every okay. once in a while, which is just an introduction to poetry mm-hmm. and the novel. So okay. it's uh, so the, so the students do a little bit of writing. It's really mostly a class to expose them to yeah. other people's work. So how how do how do you see students today respond to poetry? 
Well, initially, when they come into the class, a lot of them are in that class because it fit with their schedule, <laughs> right? I know, we've all been there. <laughs> and some of them are really reluctant. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I tell them right off the bat that they may not like poetry when they leave my class, but they're going to have a respect for it. And a lot of the students stay in the class for the challenge of it. And what's amazing is that by the end... Many of them will actually love poetry, and some of them will actually have really beautiful poems. Nice. And what I think is really interesting is that the students that, are, that you least expect, you know, you'll have like the literary types that are, are, are like sort of like the, the person that I was like, I've been re- writing poetry since I was in fourth grade or plagiarizing it, right? <laughs> you know, and, and those folks usually are very trite, but it's like the chem major, you know, or the crim major that sort of are like, I don't like poetry. And then they'll produce this amazing stuff, you know, and it's that process is so beautiful to witness. Yeah. And I I think I find that some of our students write very funny things. Um, And I think you're right. Some of them are like Richard Blanco. He was an engineer and he turned out to be a, uh, uh, a real craftsperson of poetry. Yeah. So. Um, I, w- I guess what well, other oh. yeah just one last question what advice do you have for young poets out there exactly that was my question <laughs> well I would just say that carry a notebook you know mm-hmm. or I see a lot of young people carrying their phones so you could do it on your phone or you could record on your phone and when it comes when that inspiration comes do it you know mm-hmm. I also would tell young people that they need to listen. They they need to read a lot so that they can be exposed to good writing. But they also need to sort of listen internally to what feels good to them. Because sometimes, you know, we can run into teachers or um, other writers that have opinions. You know, I, I had someone who was like telling me, oh, your poem should be, you know, like a prose poem. No, your your poem should be this, but it didn't feel organically like that's where it needed to go. And and so you have to have a balance between being open to influence, mm-hmm. but also knowing what feels right for that particular poem. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, that does it for our show today. Uh, next month, July 26th, our guest will be video game writer and narrative designer Harris Orkin. And uh, you've been listening to Literary Ashland. Our guest today was Alma Rosa Alvarez. And like I said, we'll be back next month. Until then, read a poem. Yes, and good words to everyone. Bye-bye.